0: Today, we've got a little bit different sound. It doesn't sound very good. I'm using a podcast mic going directly into my Mac. I'm using an adapter because I got a new MacBook. And of course, the inputs changed. Yet again, every time I get a new MacBook, and it's not like I'm getting one every year, I'll grant you, but every time I get one, new inputs. Now we're at Thunderbolt 3, which will also work with USB-C, I think. I can't keep track of it anymore. My old interface won't work. I don't have the adapter for it. I do have the adapter for a usb two to a USB-C or Thunderbolt 3 or whatever it is. So that's why I'm using the podcast mic. I'm actually, rather than getting an adapter for my interface, I'm getting a new interface because I need a different kind of interface anyway in order to record vocals here for the new album next month. So I'm just going to kill two birds with one stone. You don't need to know any of this, but that's the long version of why things don't sound so great. It was reported over the past week that this uh, Delta variant, COVID, up in Provincetown, big gathering, bunch of vaccinated people spread like wildfire. And this, of course, was reported, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, uh, Frank's, you know, news website, but like New York Times, Washington Post reported That uh, the CDC found this out and, uh, and is letting us all know that vaccinated people can carry around this virus and transmit it just as easily as unvaccinated people. Which is true, technically, but sort of left out in the headlines, at least, the important point which is that if you are vaccinated, it's much, much, much less likely that you're going to be infected in the first place. So it was a non-news, and people piled on, rightfully, the media, but not enough people, in my opinion, piled on the CDC. It was a weird thing for them to release. It was a, It was just... The kindest thing you can say about it is they really misplayed the ball. We have uh, not always for good reasons, sometimes for very good reasons. We've lost trust in the past year and a half in our government and in the CDC regarding COVID-19. The messaging has been awful been contradictory, said one thing, now we're going to say another thing. And you get the the people who apparently want us to spend the rest of our lives in masks said, that's how science works. Things change. Yeah, but that's not how messaging works. Two different things there. We know how science works, but that's not how messaging works. How you speak has a lot to do with not only getting the results that you want from people, but much more importantly, gaining and keeping the trust of the public. Once you lose that trust, it's difficult to get it back, to say the least. It's extremely difficult. And I don't know if we're we're going to get it back. I've been reading uh, Michael Lewis's uh, most recent book, published pretty recently, I think, The Premonition, which... Um, talks about the, the roots of pandemic planning going back to, not that it started then, but going back to the Bush White House. And in typical Michael Lewis fashion, he introduces us to a cast of characters, all of whom are very likable and and often funny, and to a person, don't like a lot of uh, baloney, we'll say and are smarter than everybody else in the room this is the Michael Lewis template he's been doing this at least since the first book I read by him which was Moneyball and, uh, and it works you, you like these characters and you're rooting for them although we know how at least a big part of the story ended up turned out but the CDC does not come off well at all in this book. And I don't think Michael Lewis is, is an anti-masker or an anti-vaxxer or, uh, or anything close to a, to a uh, foaming-at-the-mouth right winger. I don't think this trust is going to be gained back by, uh, by the CDC and by our federal government. Not for most of us. It's easy to think and to convince yourself that it's only the wackos who are skeptical. But that's if that was ever true. It's not true anymore. So you get that you know, news release, press release from the CDC, and you go find the smart people. What are they saying about it? (laughs) What's their take on it? Because you can't trust them. And it's a damn shame. I don't know where we're headed, but I hope to God things don't get much worse as we get into the fall and the winter, because you're going to see open rebellion, I believe. And I really hope to God we don't see an unrelated and far worse pandemic because there's going to be a lot of people dead and a lot of deaths that could have been easily avoided had we been able to have a basic trust regardless of political affiliation in our in our government officials and agencies and in the experts. Simone Biles, the gymnast, pulled out of most of her Olympic events, I think she just announced yesterday or today that she was gonna do the last one. At first it was for unspecified as far as I could tell, mental health concerns. And then she later said she had a case of what she called the twisties, which is apparently a a gymnast term, the same it means the same thing that, or roughly the same thing that baseball players and golfers. Uh, mean when they refer to having the yips. You kind of lose the ability to do to perform. So like Rick Ankiel with the St. Louis Cardinals great pitcher, suddenly one day he couldn't pitch. Couldn't hit the strike zone. Uh, Chuck Knobloch second baseman for the Yankees suddenly couldn't throw to first base. One day he threw so wide it ended up in the stands. He hit Keith Olbermann's mom. <laughs> so it happens. Naomi Osaka, the great uh, tennis player, and really, as far as I can tell, the heir, or do we say heiress, apparent to uh, Serena Williams, pulled out of, I believe, a Grand Slam event. Did she pull out of Wimbledon? I can't remember where I saw her win. She either won the French or she won Wimbledon. And then I can't remember. Anyway, mental health concerns, depression uh, that was going to be exacerbated by having to uh, fulfill her contractually obligated uh, appearance before the press after a match. She finds it very stressful, which I think is quite reasonable. Um, I think it's crazy. I've always thought it's crazy to uh, put a camera in front of athletes right after they're done playing a game or playing a match or whatever, especially if they've lost. What what are we gaining by this? My favorite is when we hit halftime of a playoff game and a sideline reporter is jogging along beside the head coach looking for insights into how the first half went and how the second half is going to go. There, I don't think in the history of television there's ever been anything useful or insightful said by the coaches. I mean, they're polite, but they're not telling you anything, and they're not going to tell you anything. It's all, I don't know why we continue to do this, but she is contractually obligated. I, I think about this in regards to performing because I certainly have suffered and still suffer from, uh, I guess, mental health issues. I never really thought of them as mental health so much as um, just kind of uh, my life. But uh, anxiety issues, agoraphobia, things like that that make performing even more difficult. At the same time, performing, I think, as a musician is difficult for almost everybody. There are probably a few people out there who were born to be on a stage and love it and love everything leading up to it and love the whole experience of doing it. But for most of us, I think it's difficult. Uh, there's a reason why so many uh, performers end up with drug and alcohol problems. It's, it's fairly stressful to get up on a stage. And even if you don't have drug or alcohol problems, uh, you know, you're still, you can be the most level-headed person in the world, and you're probably still going to suffer to some degree from stage fright. So for me, it's a little bit more difficult than than for the average person, but uh, I mean, that was, I always viewed it as that's, you know, I have to pay a higher price to do my work. Um You know, probably when it was at its worst for me was in the early 90s, which was also when we were performing the most. We never went on tour a lot, uh, probably not as much as the average band. Uh, And there were various reasons for that. One of them, one of the biggest reasons when we were on lookout was we didn't get tour support. So typically, a band would go out and be able to get an advance against royalties from their record label to do things like be able to buy merchandise to sell on the road. And they would get uh, copies of their own albums on the various formats uh, on consignment to sell on the road. And then obviously, whatever they hadn't sold, they could return. Um, that, That wasn't the case with us. I think the first tour we did, we were able to get some stuff on consignment. But after that, some band, I mean, some, one of the really small bands that nobody would have remembered from Lookout Records um, took some stuff on consignment and never paid for it. So Larry put the kibosh on that and nobody got anything on consignment anymore. So it was harder for us than it was for bands on a lot of other labels because we had to raise more money up front to even be able to get out on the road. So that was one of the reasons. But in any case, at that time, we were performing, you know, reasonably frequently uh, around the Midwest and, and on the road. And, and it was very difficult uh, for me in all aspects. Uh, because in addition to everything else I was dealing with, I was also managing the band. I was driving probably close to half the time uh, on very little sleep. You know, we were staying um, on, on you know people's couches and floors. It was, uh, you know, it was a difficult situation. I mean, you have more, more tolerance for that when you're younger, but it still wears on you. And uh, we had no manager. Uh, for most of the times we went out, we didn't have a, uh, anything like a road crew or even anybody to sell merch. So we were doing everything ourselves and, and often not getting along really well in the process. So there was a lot of stress uh, just under regular circumstances. And then you add in all this anxiety. And uh, it was very difficult, but I did it. I did it because it seemed to me that I don't have a choice. I think that people, I think it's a very, very good thing that people are becoming more aware of and are happier, or that's not really the word, but maybe more uh, open with these things and more willing to say, hey, I got to you know look after myself. I can't just do everything the way it's supposed to be done all the time that's probably a good thing in general i don't know if it's a good thing if we end up losing an important element of performing which is that tension and that stress because there is a a positive to that we're d- part of performing and part of performing at a high level athletically artistically as a musician, as an actor, whatever. But performing in front of an audience, uh, a big part of that involves facing your fears and having to reckon with the possibility that you might flop and embarrass yourself in front of people. Uh, I think it's a very good character builder, but I think it also more importantly, add something to the actual performance. And so I'm not inclined to tinker with that too much. Uh, It's good to look after yourself. It's good to take a break when you need to. It's good to not push yourself to um, an unhealthy level. uh, To a level that endangers your health, your physical health or your mental health. That's very good. I applaud that. But I don't want to lose that edge that I think we get from doing something that most people don't have the guts to do. If anybody can go and do what we do, and there's all sorts of outs, then everybody's going to do it. It's not special anymore. Part of what makes performing so impressive is that it takes a lot of guts to do it. You have to face a lot of fears. So I'm not criticizing these young women, uh, but I'm saying it opens the door to a lot of other questions. And uh, I, hope we don't, I hope we don't lose that aspect of performing. As unpleasant as it can be sometimes, especially for somebody like me, when you go out and you have that edge and there's an interplay between you and the audience, especially as a, as a musical performer, uh, that feeds into your performance, that affects your performance and brings it to heights that it can't get to in any other way. And it's one of the exciting things about performing, actually, and there's no... There's no shortcut to that. There's no way around that. You have to go through that fear in order to get to that place. You have to pay that price. And that's a very, very difficult price to pay if you're dealing with mental issues. There's no question about it. I think it's worth it, but it's hard. And I can understand somebody wanting to take a break from that. God knows I've taken lots of breaks. There's been times where I just said, I'm not going to perform for a while, I just need some time off. You know, usually it's for multiple reasons, but that is certainly one of them. Like, I just, I don't want to deal with my stress levels being that high at the moment, you know. So I get it, but we also maybe should look at some of the benefits of stress and look at Maybe rather than eliminate, eliminating it completely, look at what we can do and what I think a lot of successful people already do in order to manage that, in order to kind of ride the brakes a little bit when you need to, push down the gas pedal when, when you can, and work with that in order to benefit your performance, really, because you can. It can be done. And I think the best athletes do it. And I think the best performers do it. So I'm hoping by next Monday, I will have everything all set with my audio. And we will get away from this thing that picks up every little sound. I had to turn off the AC because even through the closed door, it's just... That's what you'd be hearing behind me. Somebody steps upstairs. It's like a dinosaur dropping a boulder. You think too hard, and this mic picks it up. So I'm hoping, with any luck at all, please wish me luck, that I'll get everything set with this new interface and we'll be back to some decent sound next week. Until then, have a great week. And as always, don't forget, I love you all very much. So long.